0: Hello, and welcome to the Mason, Hayes & Kern Law Podcast.
1: I'm delighted this morning to be joined by Anya Kerr, co-founder of Kinson, and Alan Merriman, CEO of Elkstone. And I'm Robert Dixon. I'm one of the corporate partners here in MHC. So I think the topic is, um, is, is a very interesting one, I think, in the current environment, um, and the reason it's interesting is obviously against a certain backdrop in the public health situation, there has been over the past kind of 15 months or so, an incredibly buoyant investment, or I would, uh, what we have seen anyway, an incredibly buoyant investment um, backdrop. And it'll be you know useful to hear what our two panellists um, think of that. One um, other source has described it recently to me as the best environment in history in which to fundraise. And I think the guys will have some views on that and, and the nuances around that, but but certainly that's one thing that's been said. I think some of the studies that we've seen show a very, very strong market. So the indicators from the first half of 2021 were that there was an increase in venture capital activity in Ireland with a new record for the second quarter with investments worth 392 million and a record of 641 million for the full first half year, according to the IVCA. So the growth has been across larger deals, so very large deals, and also earlier stage deals. So it's not just that there was a a sort of a small volume of very big deals either. And some of the sectors that came through, in that study is very strong, were in life sciences, software, and fintech. fintech. So that's the kind of, that's the statistics as they're seen. So I want to start by talking a little bit about that overall landscape. Alan, if I can... Turn to you first. Do you think the fundraising environment is as favourable as the quote I just mentioned from another source?
0: Oh, well, OK. I think, Robert, in, in truth, um, I think yes and no. Um, I think the data tells its own story. Um, you know, record levels of money are being raised by VC players and by private equity players globally. Um, and that money needs to be deployed. So I think the background is very, very favourable. But it's favourable for the quality opportunities, and I think there's lots of interest and lots of sources there from US players in particular. But it is about the quality of the opportunity, and I think if you take an example like Let's Get Checked, which I know is a client of Mason Hayes Current, that's a really good example of a high-quality company, you know, stellar growth, being able to reach out into the markets. and it's inundated with offers from quality players. And i emphasise quality. However, the other side of the coin is that you know, there are many, many founders who continue to struggle to find funding sources. And I think that's down to a number of different reasons. As ever, you know, funding is tough in all environments. And I think it's about issues such as the size of the opportunity and where venture-like returns are available and the quality of the team around you and the narrative that you are sharing and your access to funders. So I think it is a very nuanced environment. I think for those in the right place and with the right narrative, with the right team, it is a super opportunity right now. But I wouldn't underestimate the challenges for um, many players also.
1: That's interesting, Alan. And I mean, talking about the challenges for different players, obviously that's with, you know, with, with in some ways having a business that's being challenged just because of the restrictions and the things people have been able to do over the past year and a half plus. So, I mean, in terms of this environment where there's this very fragile public health kind of backdrop, do you think that that, like it doesn't seem to have had a huge in itself impact on the kind of willingness of investors of private equity, venture capital to actually invest? You know, what? how does that interplay in your view? I mean, does, does that not in itself create a nervousness?
0: No, I think, I think the reality is that, you know, this is definitely a market where the bulls are, are clearly leading. Um, and I think, again, the data very much spells that out. Um, it's also been underpinned by investment performance. So, you know, clearly PE and venture in terms of, you know, asset allocation spaces are having very stellar returns and, and have been doing so for quite some time. And even though there's a nervousness um, around what I might call, you know, the, the valuation levels um, amongst VCs. That's not stopping them, investing. And I personally kind of characterize, and this is the global context, I personally characterize it as a get out of my way market. Um, and what I mean by that is that, you know, the, the, the right opportunities are highly sought after and valuations are not getting in the way. The size of checks that people can write is is, is not a constraint. And VCs clearly are beginning to come down the different stages. So VCs are increasingly reaching into earlier and earlier stages in terms of the funding cycle. And I think we've got to always remember that, you know, whether it's COVID related or otherwise, you know, um the one thing that um you know people have generally done well from is being long disruption, being long opportunity. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. So I also think in this kind of low yield environment, there's clearly a secular push away from the traditional 40, 60 um, asset allocation. And venture and private equity is definitely a beneficiary of that. So I I expect the flows to remain strong for the foreseeable future. And I think this is a very, very exciting space.
1: Okay, that's really useful. Thanks, Alan. I want to move slightly now to talk about fundraising options for fast growth companies and with a focus on the international element of that, because that's what we're seeing. Um, Onya, from your own experiences, what are the main funding options for a fast growth company in Ireland?
2: Thanks, Robert. Yeah, and maybe just to pick up on some of the, the trends that you started there with. Like, I don't disagree with the environment that we're in and everything Alan has painted there. We know from Tech Ireland. Uh, the first half 2021, very strong for tech startups, scale ups raising, what, I think 930 million in that period. So we know it's strong, and particularly if you're of the industries that are cybersecurity, privacy, fintech, uh, big data, digital health, edtech, right? So all of those uh, sectors, if you are of this moment, probably so-called easier, and I still put that in quotes because I don't think fundraising is easy for anyone. But I do think as we drill down through the statistics, that Alan has talked about and Robert has talked about, that, yeah, there's very large rounds being done in this country at the moment. But I do have a worry when you look beyond at least the the, the trends that we have for the first half of this year that are earlier stage companies, those in that one to three million, five million bracket, that was down on pre-pandemic levels. And that is a concern when we do think about this next generation that are going to deliver employment and exports. And if we're not supporting those early stage you know they're past the the pre-seed they're into early stage they're definitely growing if we're not supporting them now how are we going to elevate and ensure they're on the springboard to be late stage companies of the future? So that's just kind of uh, one thing in terms of the context setting here. In terms of your specific question, Robert, about the options available, like I do think it probably boils down still to, to six areas for uh, growing companies. So obviously, venture capital is something we're going to talk a lot about over the next hour, tried and tested, ideal particularly for startups doing a lot of R&D, where you can get a VC to lead. And we know increasingly, yes, we've got great internal VCs here in Ireland, but increasingly we're seeing those VCs partner with external VCs and greater collaborations there. So we come back probably to venture capital a lot. But one thing I I see the the banks here um, susceptible to and and encouraging the conversation at least is around venture debt and that idea for some founders where you don't want the equity dilution, uh, you want to keep things within your control, um, you don't want maybe the onerous reporting or or board representation and all of that 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 entails and kickstarting that conversation with your bank about bootstrapping with bank debt financing. And we do know with with banks here in Ireland, they'll have the conversation if you have that stickiness, if you can show your monthly recurring revenues are strong and you can demonstrate there is growth and a long-term sustainability to your business. The third one is obviously angel investments. And we know Ireland, we've a lot of brilliant private angel investors, but increasingly we're seeing them come in as part of syndicates. And HBAN here, obviously in Ireland is a particularly good example. And I think what they're managing to do is attract larger numbers of investors. Like I think in the first half of this year, HBAN managed to put 200 investors into 37 deals uh, in just the first half of 2021 alone. And what you're seeing, I think, some of the syndicates here do, like HBAN, is now go across borders. You know, they're building these syndicates in Dubai, in London, in Singapore. So bringing those external uh, angel investors into the country and making sure that that pool of funding is widening the other one I suspect many listening to us today are familiar with is Horizon Europe, and it is definitely worth startups, no matter what stage you are at, taking a look at that. Uh, there's something like ninety five billion pledged there until twenty twenty seven. It's really designed to support all the areas of research innovation. There's the European Innovation Council within all of that. There's about ten billion there, and I would say with with how that is set up, it's particularly designed to help those innovations that might actually feel too risky for your private investors so for anyone looking at horizon europe today european innovation council you will see that they've tried to design it that there's three different schemes to match the three different stages companies are at so you'll see there's the pathfinder which you can imagine where you're at grants off up to 4 million research, develop new ideas at the very start. You've got the transition where you're kind of going from, you know, that scale scrappiness to now growth and you've got the accelerator. So, you know, even how it's labeled, you'll be able to immediately identify yet that fund, that grant is for me. The fifth one, I would say, and know talking to a lot of founders in recent days that they are looking at increasingly is crowdfunding, where you might have a VC that's leading. You're trying to get those matching funds. And we all know what a struggle sometimes that can be. And crowdfunding, I know even with, with Spark crowdfunding here in Dublin, I think they did about 6 million in the opening eight months of this year. And what they're finding is that you have people who have been sitting on savings they have deposits built up over the last 19 months since march 2020 and are looking for places to invest that and i think what you're seeing with some of these crowdfunding initiatives the average investment is maybe only 2500 but you multiply by that by hundreds of individual people and you are starting to get up to to big deal terms and then the final one which i think robert will come back to later is enterprise ireland which you know to their credit very much there at every stage of a startup's journey, I think sometimes Enterprise Ireland can be seen as it's your local enterprise office. It's there at the start, but no, I think at every step, your HPSU or you're moving into a new market or you've a new product. There's grants and initiatives there to support it.
0: Yeah,
1: Onya, thanks. I mean that that's I, I would imagine an incredibly valuable set of options. It's not necessarily that easy to find them described in that way for for you know for really high potential, um, you know, fast growth companies. I suppose I'm just interested when I hear the, that range of options. If I if I personally, Anya, was um somebody, you know, at a high potential and um, fast growth company, I was looking to raise capital and I didn't really know that there's kind of a whole load of excellent options there that you've talked about. Um what do you how do you boil that down i mean who do you speak to or, or i know it's different for every company is it just about having a lot of conversations and trying to just work it out because clearly they're trying to grow a business at the same time so um any tips around how do you boil that <laughs> yeah this, down?
2: this is definitely something i've talked to enterprise ireland like i went to new york for two years came back to do second startup had been involved in story for went to Facebook back to Kinsen, And I've often said this, it would be amazing if you had that playbook that kind of says, here are your range of options from going for the debt financing, here's your enterprise Ireland, angel investors. And I feel that that playbook, this might be something Mason Hayes, you could take on, that playbook probably doesn't live there. It probably, it's all a little bit siloed. And so unfortunately, at the moment, I think what does happen for a lot of founders is you're just doing all of your scenarios. You're looking at your your wish list, kind of your plan A, right? If we could get this mix, this blend of maybe an angel, a VC to lead. And then you're looking at, right, our plan B. Okay, we could look at this uh, mix. And what ends up happening is, and I'm sure a lot will empathize with this, you end up probably having 30 conversations before you will close around. And, you know, those are 30 conversations well spent. you you hone the pitch, you start to see who is the right fit for you. But that is time consuming. And I, you know, I do think with fundraising, you have to be all in as a founder. And it's literally probably for a period, the only thing that you do, it's ruthless prioritization in saying, right, I'm going to prioritize these calls and outreach. But it does take, it's networks. You know, we still live here in a small country. There's only a small number of VCs, angel investors, and talking to other like-minded entrepreneurs. That's why I think events like today's, today Robert are so important for people to come and see yep entrepreneurs we're talking about the same things who have you been talking to ensuring that little bit of intel I do think there is such power in the knowledge you can get from events like this because unfortunately it doesn't live in a playbook somewhere
1: yeah although we'll, we'll take our homework on board on you and try <laughs> try and come up with something in MHC that might help with that so uh, very very useful there so Alan Again, going back to the statistics, I know statistics can be a bit of a lie sometimes, but what they are indicating is that the level of international investments in in Irish companies versus the level of investment from um, Irish investors, I suppose, has actually increased. So of all those those kind of record statistics of investments that I mentioned there, 70% were from international investors versus 30% from Irish investors. Where for the same period last year it was actually fifty five percent, is that is that a trend you're seeing that there's actually increased investment internationally into Ireland? Obviously, it's not a new thing, but just as a as a proportional thing, is that something you're seeing?
0: Yeah, def- definitely. And um, you know, maybe just to give a, a very clear indication of the, why I see that continuing, I mean, with, with no exaggeration, within the last probably six weeks or so, we in Elston, we've had quite. We've had um, Baldurton, we've had Red and um, we've had DM Capital. All come and visit, engage with us here with a view to having eyes and ears on the ground. I mean, the interest in Europe, um, especially from the US, um, has really taken off. Um, and I think, the, um, as I said, the amount of fundraising that's going on within private equity in BC, I think is driving the need. For these players to you know, be very engaged in terms of finding opportunities outside of um, the Americas. And um, so I think we will see more and more international interest here. Um, Elkstone alone has dealt with UK firms, French firms, German firms, VC players, all VC players in having co investments within the Irish market within the last 12 months. And again, we're not alone in that way. So I, I'd be very optimistic about the future in terms of international players coming here. I think it's important, as Anya said, though, to recognise that the ecosystem here is made up of many different constituents and the international players are going to be interested in, you know, the faster growing companies um, and, and the companies that are probably progressing through A into B and beyond, while that early, early stage is still going to be very dependent on the local ecosystem. And that's something that I think we still need to do collectively a lot more work on to get the Irish ecosystem to where it needs to be to to you know serve sell well for the longer term.
1: So I think there's a, a few interesting points coming out of that, Alan, and, and it, it picks up on the point Onya was making about the kind of early, earlier stage almost being slightly more of a concern. But what you what I'm picking up from what you said there, Alan, is just this idea about, you know, the the international investors actually looking to team up that it's it's you they want to talk to as well. It's not it's not almost a, a, an attempt to supplant or replace any Irish investment It's just teaming up. Um, so in some senses, you know, it, it, it's not that that's a, a threat or a challenge to Irish investors. It's actually a positive from, from what I'm hearing, but would that be your taking it as well?
0: Yeah, no, I, I definitely see it that way. I mean, my, my perspective is, um, you know, yes, some local VCs may lose out on a case by case basis in terms of competition, Um, But I think in terms of the macro context, it's a win-win for everybody. I think international players coming here are going to be incredibly helpful in terms of bringing their learnings to the Irish market and in terms of helping founders and companies scale their global network and their expertise, their bigger checks, et cetera, et cetera. And I think they're going to need to collaborate and partner with local players. So I just see the ecosystem as a whole, you know, genuinely really, benefiting and compounding from that. And I think it's something to be embraced rather than to be scared about. I think it will force us all to up our game. And I think again in truth, I think that's something that this ecosystem needs. We need better quality VCs operating in the Irish market, both local and international. And success brings success. So I'm very confident with the successes Ireland is having of late. And there'll be more to come and that that will that will build a momentum that will serve us all very, very well. So the more, the better. And I mean
1: that very genuine. Yeah, it's, it's really, really useful to hear that. And Onya, just I mean, as, as part of that, again, to go back to the statistics, I think a big element of that international investment is coming from the US. We're certainly seeing that on, on, on our deals that we're work, working on. Huge number, huge investment from the US. From your own perspective, what are the differences people should be aware of if dealing with a US investor, US venture capital, and different types of firm can can have different characteristics, if you like. But you know, US versus Irish investor, what what do you think the some of the some of the things for people to be aware of are?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. I will say, yeah, and I think what we're talking about here is borne out by the IVCA data for this year in terms of that flood of international capital coming in. I think it accounts for something like seventy percent of all the fundraising. Uh, we've seen by Irish companies in Q2 2021. And I think that that is a good thing. Ireland, as we've talked about, small country. And I do think when you've got a small pool of VCs doing great work, but there can be a little bit of risk aversion, I do think, built in in terms of they're trying to place smart bets, but they're trying to almost ensure that there's a certain inevitability to, you know, their success metrics, given that it is so small and they're taking on risks. And I do know from talking to founders, that can feel like the biggest hurdle that they have to get over in the Irish sector here is just that feeling sometimes of risk aversion as opposed to sometimes seeing that bigger picture. Um, so I do think everything that Alan has talked about is great in terms of seeing that that international buy and particularly US investors where it's a strong endorsement of everything we're doing here shows the global interest, shows the broader view, we're able to expand that, that pool, that deal flow. I do worry sometimes that we're probably not Great compared to a lot of other european countries that are talking about the strength of the ecosystem here and the amount of great innovation that is happening so i think as an aside we probably have to do better there i will say in terms of sometimes the differences between us and europe and i, I i've heard this play out with other founders It's sometimes just speed and i don't know why this is whether it's just a cultural thing maybe it's just time zones i don't know but definitely american operators there's definitely the rhythm, the culture is definitely faster moving at the moment compared to, I think, European, whether it's slower just because there's greater due diligence, maybe more bureaucracy. But I do think... That's probably something founders have to kind of bake in. Now, you can use that to your advantage that if a U.S. is leading, they can also set the pace and you're going to have to find ways to pick up the phone to your European investors who are potentially matching to pick up that speed. But that has definitely been a tension point from what I have seen over the last 19 months. And I think if we don't get around that sometimes tension points around the due diligence and the bureaucracy, you do worry about, right, if if we can't match our US investors, are we going to have a brain drain problem in future? You know, Can we honestly say here today that if Stripe had to do it again, that they would build out of Ireland as opposed to be primarily a Silicon Valley company? And I, I think we have some hard questions to ask ourselves as an ecosystem. The amount of, as we've talked about, that flood of international investment, I do think, to Alan's point, is largely a good thing. But I do think you know we all have the scars of boom to bust and hopefully the learnings of that and how do we build resilience in those so that there isn't an over-reliance um, given we know those cycles of boom to bust and how international investment can be cycl- cyclical. It can, it's tides that come in and out. So I would say to founders as well, absolutely look to your US investors, European, but also I do think there is just a responsibility on, on all of us to see Can we also just ensure that there's some foundational funding that you have bedded into your company? And also just some policymakers like we we see and hear Boris Johnson all the time talk about, you know, Britain's entrepreneurial spirit and how do they advance that? And I do think for all the changes we've seen in the budget, there is an awful lot more to be done in this country if we're going to give ourselves that buffering while taking in the money that we would like to see from US, Europe and beyond.
1: Great. Thank you very much, Onya. That's really useful as well. I want to move on to the fundraising process and a few things around that, Onya. Um, so, I mean, we've talked about the conversations and the different options for, you know, a fast growth company that may wish to raise capital. What could, You know, once you've had those conversations and so forth, I suppose, taking it from there to a point where you've actually signed a term sheet, and obviously there's more beyond that, but can you describe that journey a little bit? How you go from you know the conversations to actually closing a, a Series A round of several million, for example? What's the what are some of the steps people should oh
2: be- my god, even just thinking about it is just yeah. such exhaustion, it causes me weariness. But um, like I do think even before you have the conversation, and it seems like such an obvious thing to say. But it's just to make sure you sit down and screen in and screen out who you think is the right fit, like really actually looking at the portfolios, whether it's your angel investors, your VCs, the banks, looking at all of this and saying, am I the right fit? Like, have they done something in this area before? Have they been involved? Is this something that matches their own purpose, strategy, the tactics that they're deploying? So I would say like that pre-research, that ruthless prioritization to make sure you're actually having the appropriate conversations in the first place because there's nothing as demoralizing as getting into a process and realizing actually we were just never right for these guys in the first place. They're more at the later stage or they need monthly recurring revenues of X. So I'd say the more you can do your pre-homework, the better. And from there, like it is as much as we always, I think as founders, we tend to always think about the number of rejections we got, you know, we did 30 conversations, 25 rejected us and we took five. In that 30, you know, I'm using that kind of as a ballpark. There have often been moments where we've had to say, actually, they're not the right fit for us. Let's not pursue that. And that's where you do kind of just want to get that balance and and build a little bit of resilience in at the start. And I would say along the process, it doesn't matter from that first conversation to write ink, ink signatures. There's so much is about trust and chemistry and not to forget just the importance of that relationship building, in all of it and coming back all the time to your own sense of why you know checking in on that at every stage of this like why are we doing what we do why why ask why now and why this investor like why is this investor a good fit for us why does this make sense and do we actually like each other because you are trying to line up suitors you know I often think of a dance floor analogy you know and we've all had our teenage disco moments over the years where there's somebody you like and with something like a startup, you're you're on the dance floor, and you've got your suitors <laughs> around the dance floor. And what you're doing is you know you like them, the chemistry is there, you think it's a good fit. And what you're looking for your investors to do is who is going to come out on the dance floor first. You know that awkward moment at an Irish wedding of who's going to take the floor first. Because you know when one person goes... Others will follow. You know, you're going to have that moment of someone will lead and the others will match. And that's often what you're trying to do in those really early conversations is can you push it far enough that someone with confidence goes, yep, yeah, stake in the ground, I'm going to take the dance floor first. And I have to say, I think that is the part that wears the patience of founders down is finding someone to step out and, and take the lead. And that is, you know, that's a tactical play by everybody. But I think for founders, that can be particularly exhausting because it sometimes can feel a little bit like mind games and just very tactical in all of that. I think, though, once you have your your suitors out in the dance floor and you know you're putting this coalition together of people who get you and who care and the chemistry is right and you're building that trust, it is all the time, I would just say, even if you have five suitors lined up, it's just always knowing what is your plan B? If you, you lose your lead or someone falls away, just always knowing your plan B, C, D, E, but constantly asking yourself the question right along the fundraising process of what is the worst that could happen here and constantly check in on that. And if you get really uncomfortable with the outcomes, you maybe need to dial it back a little bit, but always knowing, you know, your so called bat now, like what is my best alternative here to a negotiated agreement? Just always, that is your control as a founder in all of this is always knowing that you can control you can influence there's going to be certain things that you have to accept and i will say from from all of that then is just to prepare yourself i would say over the last 19 months robert there's probably more levels of due diligence like mark and i we've done a startup before we definitely at the point last year with with, with one of our pieces of due diligence we were down to having to get employer references like it got to that level even though you know we'd have a cv that would show yeah these guys would would seem to know what they're on about Definitely the levels of due diligence have gotten more detailed. So I think just for everybody to prepare for that. And I will say it's just slower. Um, We had, you know, we were very lucky last year in that most of our investors, before March, we had met in a room. We'd done that initial chemistry check, that initial conversation. But the deal took place over months and months through remote. And it just was slower. I think when you're relying on Zooms and emails, it requires new levels of patience. You've got more teams involved and probably just to allow for the fact that this may not happen sometimes as fast as if you were sitting in a boardroom together. And in all of that, I'm trying to think what else. Like, I think for, for founders listening in today, it can feel a little bit when you've got those suitors lined up and you have your lead, it's a little bit of air traffic control. You know, you're just trying to get all the moving pieces into play, make sure everybody's at the start line together and you're just keeping them moving along to the end line that you're not moving anyone. And so it is It is very intensive. I would not underestimate the amount of exhaustion and adrenaline it takes for months. But what I will say is for anyone listening today is that if you do have a co-founder or if you have a really strong CEO, one of you take on that fundraising conversation and maybe one of you then is the details, the deal signing, the process, just so you can be all in and try and protect probably your broader team because I will say fundraising, as brilliant as it is, it can be a huge distraction on a team and you do have to allow for the intensity of it. And inevitably that you're going to have curveballs and pivots and have to go back to the start or maybe trigger a plan C. And that's all part of it. It is all just resilience building.
1: That's a number of really useful insights there, Onya. I mean, I, I suppose probably just one point I want to pick up on is this idea in the remote environment of a you know, every deal is taking longer, which I think is a fair, certainly in, in our experience is a fair um, observation, I would say. I think there are other ways that, that it can make things more efficient, but but equally, you know, it's um, it, it it certainly has its challenges. Is that the main challenge you've seen with actually trying to, to do a deal from a kind of a party raising funding perspective, you know, that yeah. it actually creates, you haven't got people in a room I mean, overall, will you be welcoming a return to a situation in, in due course where it's not remote? Or do you think a lot of a lot of the new um, efficiencies are are there to stay in terms of remote findings uh, and things?
2: Yeah, look, I think remote has made it so much more efficient and productive in so many different ways. But I do think when it comes to this question of trust and that chemistry check we've been talking about, and sometimes that very initial conversation, people invest in people like, you know, you, you have that. That sense within minutes doesn't matter if it's an interview or a meeting an investor of is this going to be a conversation worth pursuing? And yes, we know investors have a checklist of things that they're going through, but often it's just going to be do we do we like these founders? Do they have a vision? Like do we like what they're trying to do? And I do think that is harder to communicate through a Zoom um uh, it just is so i know of founders over the last 19 months who you know in order to maybe get to sit in that room in san francisco or new york they went they did their quarantine in mexico for two weeks uh, in order to be able to get into the united states to sit in that boardroom look them in the eye really feel the energy get a sense of am i screening this person in or out so I I do think a lot of founders have found that trust building, that chemistry check, just much harder through Zoom. And then as a consequence of that, it is the speed that we're talking about, Robert Jed, just the emails, constant loops of emails, nobody's fault, it is what it is, versus if somebody put you in a boardroom and said you three days, until your flight back to Dublin, Ireland, get this deal done. You would. There is nothing like a a deadline in those moments where you've flown there and there's a commitment. And I will say as well, for all of the efficiencies and productivity, I know talking to a lot of founders, they have just actually found the back-to-back pitching on Zooms absolutely exhausting. Now, The pro, you get to talk to so much more people in multiple countries that you mightn't have. Otherwise, you're getting to refine your pitch all the time. And in some circumstances, I do know founders who, because they did just zooms back to back, they did close some rounds in six weeks. So there are definitely cases, as much as I'm saying it's slower, I equally have heard the opposite of that of, just being able to go quickly into pitch mode on Zooms, they've gotten deals done in six weeks. So I think it's different for for different companies, but I do think we're missing that first step in terms of the trust building at the moment. Yeah, no,
1: it's it's a really it makes a lot of sense. Or you know, if, if, if there was that choice, you know, or I suppose to some extent there is, it would be it would be great, um, and and we can take what's useful and, and from from the kind of remote efficiencies, but but not be be sort of constrained mm. by them either. Um, I want to move to sectors because I think that's, in some ways, the big, the big story about, you know, wh- why we're seeing these enormous numbers and, and very very successful. It's that certain sectors, I think, are very, have been very successful over the last um, year or three quarters. I suppose, Alan, just to draw a circle around that, what sectors are you seeing as particularly hot at the moment in terms of interest from investors?
0: It's um, it's it's a really difficult one because the truth is, there's tons and tons of opportunity, and and just to give that a little bit of context, I mean, you know, all you mentioned earlier fintech, and I, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, one of our early successes, but we were we were an early investor in Revolut, and I uh, was over in London last week, got to hear um, directly from Nikolai in terms of how they're progressing. Their value at the moment, thirty three billion, and his 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 kind of strong line was um, they can 10x from from here, and the amount of legacy profit pools that they can go after is just enormous. So when you have a 33 billion company talking about their potential to 10x from this point forward, that, that alone speaks volumes. Um, and and another um, company we invested in is is a business called Ham ETF, and they're basically a, um, a, a a party that enables asset managers set up innovative ETFs. And the reason I call them out, I mean, we invested in them about three years ago, and they basically had not one single ETF out in the market. Today, they have 27. And those 27 ETFs are thematic and are in different spaces, all in the innovation type space. So, again, that's just reinforces the, 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 the plethora of opportunities that are out in the market. And um, so, whether it's, you know, fintech, whether it's digital health, whether it's AI, I mean, even here in Ireland, we've got. Great examples of what have the potential to be leading class world leaders in terms of a of based in Cork or ProTech, i.e., based up here in Dublin, um, and then crypto, DeFi, blockchain, and ProTech: the future of work, and the environment, de- decarbonization, the circular economy. I mean, look, honestly, I can go on and on and on. There is so much opportunity, and that that's great for investors. In, in terms of, you know, it's, it's an environment to be positive, in, in my view. But it's also great for founders. Again, I'm, I'm very conscious that the audience listening in are going to be both founders and investors. And um, for founders, I think there's a lot of encouragement in terms of the quality of Irish companies that are getting um, funding round the way, that are really scaling in a meaningful way, and, and showing um, that a lot can be done from Ireland Inc. In, in that regard, so look, tons of opportunities. Whether you're an investor or whether you're a founder, I'd be very, very positive.
1: And it, it, that's it's certainly some some diverse and and very interesting kind of sectors you've talked or subsectors even that you've talked about there, Alan. I think the other kind of side to it, of course, is that there are there are distressed businesses out there, and and often it's just being in a, in a sector such as tourism, for example, that that's just been very very difficult year and three quarters for them. What's your sense of, of the, the, the kind of willingness of investors, shall we say, to look take a longer term view of businesses that may have been badly impacted just by being in a sector that, that things have been very difficult for in the last year and three quarters? Is, is, it, um, is there nervousness there? Is, is there a willingness to kind of look beyond the pandemic and, and what's likely to be a slightly topsy-turvy situation for perhaps a bit longer? Or what's your, what's your sense of that? I think it's
0: truthfully, I think it's very challenging. Um and, and why do I say that? I, it's it's the I guess it's the um it's the other side of the coin in terms of what I just spoke about in terms of opportunity. So given that there's such tremendous opportunities, given that there's lots of players offering very strong growth, growth wins out every time. So if you're not showing traction, if you're challenged. And it's very hard to make the compelling investment case given all the other opportunities. And again, I'm very conscious of the, as a founder myself and dealing with lots of portfolio companies, funding is very, very challenging. You're going to have lots and lots and lots of nodes, unfortunately. And typically, again, of course, there's exceptions. Um, but look, I think the most important thing is that you know you you you've got to you've got to know your audience. You've got to find the right. Investors, you got to be going after the right VCs and you know there's always deals to be done. But doing your homework and knowing who you're going after is the most efficient thing you can do, regardless whether you're in a growth sector or whether you're in a you know you're in a bit of a valley at the moment.
1: Okay, all right, that's really really useful. I think um, for for to get that other side of the coin, because that's the that's the kind of that the, they're the two sides to the coin, as you put it, that that are kind of we're kind of dealing with it at the minute. One other thing slightly different that I wanted to raise with you, Alan, is EIIS. So the forthcoming changes to the Employment and Investment Incentive Scheme via the Finance Bill are a very welcome development in providing income tax relief to qualifying investors in certain SMEs. Can you give us your views on the importance and likely impact of those changes?
0: Yeah, look, I, I um, again, just to borrow from Anya earlier, I think there's a lot to be excited about, a lot of things to be positive about what's happening in Ireland in terms of um, access to funding, the quality of the international VCs that are showing interest in Ireland and some of our notable successes that we've had in recent years. Having said that, my my honest, candid assessment is that I think the ecosystem um, needs um, moving on quite a bit, and and particularly in terms of the early stage um, segment. So I think EWIS um, great policy, um, but it hasn't been working. It's been broken for quite some time. And I think some of the changes that have been, we've lobbied hard for them and thankfully have got them. Partner finance have come good, and government have come good. I think some of these changes that have been announced um, in the finance bill have the potential to be real catalysts for change. So in particular, what I think we need in this country, we need a very vibrant angel. Ecosystem at that very early stage, that that one million, there, you know, in in truth, that one million to five million type um, range at this point in time. But one of the key changes that the EIS um, legislation, the finance bill, is bringing in is it's allowing an array of investment vehicles invest and get the benefit of Ewis, and I think that's going to be potentially a real catalyst to improve the ecosystem because I think what it's going to allow is it's going to allow um, the public at large. Um, invest in a portfolio approach to early stage venture. So they'll get a diversified portfolio to get the protection of what they call a, an appropriately regulated fund. And I think that will give um, more um, opportunity for businesses like Elkstone to invest in the ecosystem. So I, I think it has a real potential to be a breakthrough. We ourselves are going to launch a fund as soon as possible in, in, in quarter one and our, our mindset very much is we want to have EIS being focused on what I would call true venture risk, high risk, high return opportunities, not asset-backed companies. We want to get this money working in a very impactful way. And I think giving the opportunity for investors to, be able to invest through a vehicle to get EIS relief in a, in a diversified manner. But true venture allocation, I think, is a very, very, very compelling proposition. So I'm very excited about what that might do. And I'm hoping the Elkstone Fund that we launch will be the first of many, not just Elstone Elkstone Fund, but indeed wide right across the market because it's badly, badly needed. Um, and I think that success brings success. So if we can deliver the track record we've been having with our club in a fund format, I think that will just really open up um, opportunities more so Going forward, so I'm hoping this finance bill truly can be a catalyst for a significant step up in accommodating a, a vibrant angel ecosystem in the Irish market because it really is needed.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's great to hear about, Alan. It's, it's really, really positive that that's coming down the line, and, and here's hoping it does have the impact that that you're talking about there. So that's that, that's really positive. Um, Onya, I want to talk to you about um, some of the supports that are in place for female entrepreneurs in Ireland. There is kind of the Enterprise Ireland Female Entrepreneurship Strategy Scheme. Is enough being done in Ireland for female entrepreneurs and what else should be done if not?
2: In a word, no. And that's not to take away from the great work of Enterprise Ireland. Uh, In fairness to them, they have put... Huge emphasis in terms of strategic work initiatives, grants, etc., to really elevate, promote, support women at all stages. So I I give credit there. And we know there are VCs as well in this city, particularly, you know, the Sunday Business article. For anyone who hasn't read it, I do. It's about two, three weeks ago, which was all about the, the female founder ecosystem here in Ireland. And we know there's so few female VCs in Ireland that there's so few of them. We can name them by their first names, you know, Elaine, Nicola, Debbie, and they do wondrous work. We just need more of them. And we look at the the Tech Ireland report again for the first half of this year, 94% of VC funding in Ireland went to male-founded businesses, 94%. So there is an easy answer, unfortunately, to that question, despite, as I say, Enterprise Ireland and others doing the heavy lifting here. And, you know, I, I don't think there's any simple, straightforward solutions to all of this. You know, we look at, again, country size, We know networks mean so much. You need warm introductions a lot of of the time in this country. And where do those warm introductions come from? Often male entrepreneurs. Where do you meet them? Well, you know, again, it's events like this, but we do, I'm always saying this, we need more male allies, male entrepreneurs, making sure that you are opening uh, those doors, being a sponsor, being an advocate for more female entrepreneurs and connecting them into the right conversations with the right investors. So, you know, I do feel our male allies have, have more to, to be done there. But I do also think there's probably a role for for targets at this point, diversity targets in VCs, ideally that, that, that there are voluntary from themselves. But there's probably something in time, like if we're coming from such a low base in terms of like 94% that number of male founded businesses. Do we need something from an enterprise Ireland, for example, that is making a mandate over, you know, X percentage of monies Uh, if Enterprise are coming in, uh, Enterprise Ireland is coming in, that X percentage of monies um, needs to be invested in in female founded businesses from others in the ecosystem. So I do think we're going to have to think about some uh, targets and and quota systems there. And you can sunset then. like this is more just to kind of uh, really trigger, accelerate uh, some change there. And I do worry as well, you know, when we look at that very low level funding for, for women founders is, What is the impact of that? Like great women are getting investment. It's often from male-led investors and great. But does that mean that your board is also ending up being very male-led when, again, you would like to have greater diversity in there? So that's where I think we probably haven't tracked enough of how how much is the the root cause of how we see sometimes our C-suites, our boards, our directorships can be, and we know, very male-led. We've seen it all come from Balance for Better Business. Uh, the, the Women's Council of Ireland, all the statistics are there to show us we have a problem when it comes to our boardrooms. But it starts with that problem, that if our investment is coming from a very, very small set. And in all of that, what despite my negativity there, you look at the European Prize for Women Innovators there a few weeks ago. And I think Irish females took up 30% of uh, the Irish SMEs awarded that, you know, in that and the EU European Innovation Council Accelerator. So, like, we know the ideas are here. We need more women to be encouraged into business. But even to Alan's point there about building, you know, a, a more mature, sophisticated ecosystem around them, it does need to happen. And it needs to happen quickly. Otherwise, we're going to be dealing with these deficits. And unfortunately, what we've seen is a trend of falling investments, according to Tech Ireland, in those female-led uh, investments from VCs in the past 19 months.
1: That's, I mean, these these are important messages, and thank you, Onya. I think it's something we all we all need to listen carefully to, and um, you know, it's certainly something that that you know, some very important things to take up there, and and ho- hopefully everyone's listening to that. So that that's that's useful, Onya.
0: Thank you for listening to the Mason Hayes and Curran Law podcast. We hope you found it useful. For more information on legal matters, podcasts and webinars, please visit mhc.ie.